Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Tuesday, you guys. Welcome to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. I am so excited to have you here with me today. Happy Tuesday. How is the beginning of your week? It's kind of snowy here in Boston, so I hope that you're somewhere warm. I wish I were somewhere warm. Gosh, how much do we miss traveling. I desperately, desperately miss traveling. I'm so ready for all of this to be over. To sink my toes and my heels and probably my butt and lay all the way down in sand on a beach with the sun glistening over my body. When that day finally comes again, I will be the happiest girl on the block. But until then, I will continue to hang out with you here because this also makes me super duper happy. All right, a little bit about me. If you did not know, before I was in birth work, I actually used to work in early childhood education. And before that, I was an educational advocate who um, helped parents navigate the school system when they had a child on the autism spectrum. Um, And I also did behavioral therapy for children on the autism spectrum. So I have an entire background in advocacy and also hands-on support for parents in various capacities. And one of the things that rings true no matter what industry I'm in, whether it is autism or educational advocacy or advocacy in the hospital or birth work or in the classroom for early childhood education, is respectful parenting. Now, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I feel like so many parents don't know what tools to use to help support their child in the best way possible. I feel like this is a generational issue and for so many people, we parent our children 
the same way that we were parented. But what happens if you weren't parented in a respectful way? And what happens if you don't have the greatest relationship with your parents and you know you want to do something different, but you're not sure exactly what? Well, for me, the answer to that is respectful parenting. And this is something that I learned working through children on the autism spectrum and then I carried it into the classroom working with infants and toddlers in the early childhood education setting and now in birth work it's something that we teach our clients during postpartum starting from birth. You may be thinking how in the world do you respectfully parent a newborn that you know, just kind of lays there and they cry a little bit and you change their diaper and you feed them and then they sleep and then an hour to two hours later you do that whole cycle over. They wake, you change their diaper, they fuss a little bit, you feed them and they're back asleep. I get it. I really do get it. It seems very abstract to think that you can parent or have a parenting approach for a child that cannot interact with you in the same ways that we typically envision children interacting with us, which is why I'm so excited to have on our guest today, Dr. Aliza Pressman. Now, I know Dr. Aliza from the podcast Raisin Good Humans, which I'm a longtime listener of and a big fan of, and I have learned so much from that podcast, which is why I wanted to have her on. But not only does she host the podcast Raising Good Humans, but she also is the co-founder of Seedlings Group and the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. She has her PhD in developmental psychology from Columbia University, and she did a fellowship at the National Center for Children and Families. Dr. Pressman is certified in parent management training from the Yale Parenting Center and an assistant clinical professor at the School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in the Department of Pediatrics. To say that Dr. Eliza is well qualified is an understatement, but I cannot, cannot wait for you to hear this discussion. Before our call, I geeked out and like hard. I absolutely love the Raisin Good Humans podcast. And so when Dr. Elisa said yes to come in on this podcast, I fangirled so hard because I knew that this was a conversation that all of you needed to hear as well. All right, guys, without further ado, Dr. Elisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. I'm so excited to have you. I am really excited to dive into this topic because, um, well, for a couple of reasons. I think society and this podcast has a way of really focusing on pregnancy and birth and a little bit of postpartum, right? Society gives you that nice six-week checkup and mm-hmm. our services typically expand to the first um, you know, few months after life, but no one talks about parenting after your baby is 
like here and no longer a newborn. And so I wanted to dive into a topic that is near and dear to my heart and something that um, I studied when I was in my master's and I carried it out in the classroom. But now that I'm not in the classroom, I'm quite far removed from actual parenting support when it comes to parenting rather than the transition of having a baby. So um, today I would love to talk about respectful parenting and how does this look with a tiny, tiny human, it makes sense probably to a lot of people to, you know, parent your teenager respectfully. They can hold a cognitive conversation with you. They can have, you know, deep conversations, serious conversations, express themselves. But when we are staring at a brand new baby and it feels as if they can't communicate, although we know that babies communicate in various ways, sure do. How, how does one respectful parent of baby. But before we dive into that, Mm -hmm. do you mind explaining what exactly is respectful parenting? Um, Well, I would, first I would say, I'll, I'll kind of give a broad definition, but I would say it's not, you know, you could, you could plug in many, um, any number of names for this, respectful parenting, responsive parenting, sensitive parenting, or caregiving, I should say, because this is this holds true for, for all kinds of caregivers. Um, and basically the idea is that the interactions that you have with your baby and in your, you know, either dyad, meaning the two of you, if it's, you know, in, in my case, it would be between mother and child and someone else's, it's father, babysitter, caregiver, grandparent, whatever it is, there's a respectful interaction in which the that caregiver is aware of the child's emotional and physical needs and is responding, and this is an important part, appropriately and consistently in the context of that child's development and attuned to that child's um, experience so it's really not, I guess the idea behind it is that you're not acting alone, like you're not parenting, you're in a relationship. And when you're in a relationship, you have to think about the other person and it's a dance and it's not always a pretty dance. And it's not always like, you know, a, a beautiful, no tripping, no problem dance, but it is an awareness that there's another person in the mix and that you want to take that into account and you want them to take into account that they are seen and that the choices that you're making as a parent are taking into consideration where they are and who they are. And that starts out of, you know, right away, because when we look at an infant, they are communicating with us through their cries and their gurgles and their coos and they're making there's space between what we're we're not talking at infants we're we're talking with infants it's it's partly just I guess to simplify it it's really just acknowledging it's a relationship not a one-way um experience 
Totally. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm ready to geek out because you're using words and language that I just don't get to use very often now that I work with mainly people who are having the babies. Let's talk about responding appropriately and consistently. So, um, you know, babies are born with, with various cries that tell us different things. If we're not tuned into that, it can be really kind of hard to distinguish what your baby needs. What does it look like? And I actually have my own opinions, probably very big opinions about this. What does it look like to respond appropriately to a newborn? Share your thoughts and then I'll piggyback off of wherever you take us. Okay. Well, with any age, the first thing you want to do in responding is actually take a pause, have some space between, otherwise you're just reacting and you, it means you didn't have a chance to let land whatever is going on for the other person. And that would be true in all of, you know, any interaction. And sometimes it's just practice taking a breath. And nobody gets that right out of the gate. We're working on that our whole lives. So it's not about like, I just want to be careful that this isn't like, okay, now there's a right way and you're going to do it. And if you don't, you suck as a parent. It's just, it's a practice of getting to know what your child needs, what they're trying to communicate. It always helps to take a breath and remind yourself that whatever it is that they need, barring something that is life or death can wait for that pause and give you time to really assess how you feel and how they might feel. We co-regulate with babies. They need us to regulate. So it's co-regulation. They almost borrow our nervous system. And so when you take a breath, you're also helping them to regulate, which they wouldn't be able to do without you. Um, and I think the the thing that happens really around six weeks and beyond is that they are more able to look at you and in their own way communicate. Um, and I should say, I think this happens out of the gate right away at birth, but it gets easier after their really fussy period between three and six weeks. It gets easier to sort of pause and not panic. And also we're coming into our own as parents. And so it gives you time to recognize, I'm just, you know, I did, here's what I checked that you're dry and I did feed you. And maybe it's not that maybe you're tired, like you're getting to know each other. And, and when you have an open curiosity versus like a sense of like, this is the schedule and this is who you are. And this is what I think is supposed to happen. It, it just gives room to be respectful of the other, in this case, the infant's experience. Well, it goes back to being in a relationship, right? Where you are learning that other person think about when you first started dating your spouse or your partner. Now you had to go through like, okay, is, did they have a bad day? Did I do something that made them angry? Are they feeling anxious? Like what is going on that has caused this change in them? And you're doing the same exact thing with your baby. I love that. So the pause that you talk about, I teach my folks to um, ask two questions. Take a deep breath and ask yourself, what is my baby trying to tell me? 
And now what is my goal? Am I just trying to soothe my baby? Am I trying to get my baby back to sleep? Am I trying to feed my baby? What is my baby saying? And then what is my goal, right? And that for me helps us prevent reactivity versus, you know, actually responding to exactly what your baby is asking because we take that pause to say, what is my baby asking of me? Yeah. Yeah. It's all about curiosity. It's just like, if you each time think, I don't know the answer, I'm going to just try to figure it out. There's some built in pause. So it's great to have two questions that you ask yourself and just like a strategy, a plan. Because it can be dysregulating for us to hear a baby cry. It should be dysregulating. That's what I was just about to say is that we can get really caught up in like, oh my God, I got to stop them from crying. It it like, you know, pierces my ears or it gives me tingly sensations or it makes my body flush because now I'm anxious. Mm -hmm. I get that. But if we go into it with no plan, you know, it sometimes doesn't resolve. So that leads me to going back to co-regulation. When we feel this flush sensation or this anxiety or this, you know, intense need to stop the crying at all costs, the fastest way possible, not having considered kind of what our baby is asking and what we're going to do. How does that impact co-regulation and what can we do as parents to remember and kind of keep in control of our own regulation so that we can help our baby co-regulate? We want them to be barring, you know, a good sensory system. Right, right. Um, I mean, I think picking your own little mantra to remind yourself that that in this moment, everyone is okay is an important whatever it is that you know gives you that that sense, that reminder to flip that switch in your brain from going from panic to, you know, okay, this is what's supposed to happen. And it may be that you say to yourself every time babies cry, that's how they communicate. Whatever the sentence is that you need to tell yourself that this is going to happen and it is a beautiful process of kind of getting to know each other and babies can't talk. So the only thing they can do is cry or not cry. And that's really good news. It means that they're communicating. And it's really good news because we're supposed to find out when they need something. So if they're able to tell us they need something, we're in a great position. So any of those things that you can tell yourself, or maybe the sentence is, my little baby knows how to ask what for what she needs. Whatever yeah. that is to, to get you into a space of this is part of the process, not something's wrong. Like, I've done something wrong, or this is all a disaster. Your baby will cry. There is no getting out of that. And so being prepared for whatever you plan on saying to yourself to regulate yourself so that you can co-regulate with your baby will be so valuable. It really will be. And it plays a huge role in bonding, right? The way that you respond to your baby and the way that you know, we are consistent with our baby plays a role in bonding. Can we dive into that? What happens when we are not consistent with our reactions and responses to our baby? How does that impact 
bonding or attachment to your child. I mean, now I'm really geeking out, getting into attachment theory, but what, you know, how does this impact not only our relationship, but our child's development when we don't have that consistent responses? Um, so I, I'm always nervous about this because I can imagine the fear of a new parent who's like, wait, did I just respond differently than I did before? Does this mean that I messed with the atten- the connection and all that? So I would say with a grain of salt or many grains of salt and with the knowledge that what consistency means isn't you're a robot who just presses play. It just means like for the most part, you are someone they can count on and understand and are predictable. And so that once they have this person and it really just takes one who they know is predictable and they know what to expect from, then they can focus on learning and exploring and feeling safe in the world. So it's really just how can I make sure my baby feels safe? So I wouldn't say it has to be all the time you're saying the same thing or doing the same thing, but your general, like your, your general formula for how you respond, whether it's, you always say the same sentence, um, or you always take that deep breath and then say something, or you always feed them when it's time to eat and you always put them to bed roughly around the same time. It, you know, those are the things that help babies feel safe so that they can explore and feel flexible and free. And um, so that consistency really just is about controlling our impulse to be um, overly responsive, where we just are like um, almost controlled by our emotions completely. And it also keeps us from being under responsive where we're just like, I, I I don't have it in me right now. The thing is, is that it's never going to be totally consistent the first three months because you have no idea what's going on and you're just getting to know each other. So the only thing that needs to be consistent at that point is not a schedule and it's not um, anything so concrete. It's just your intention needs to be consistent, whatever it is. I love this baby and I want to get to know him could be, you know, and so I'm going to do what I can to get to know him and make sure he's safe and protected. Whatever your intention is, it's, it's that that is in general consistent, but I wouldn't say there's like a behavior that is going to mess with babies in those first few weeks, as long as you are generally available to respond appropriately. I love that. So the word that you said that stuck out the most to me was predictable. Um, And I think this is going to be more applicable as your child gets older, but it's not that you can't show a range of emotions to your children. That's not what we want, but we want your child to be able to predict. Yeah pretty much your emotions. Like when you wreck the car, you kind of want your child to know like, oh my God, my mom is going to be so mad, right? Right. That's predictable. It also kind of makes them feel safe. They know what they're coming home to, even though it's not happy emotions, right? Right. Um, That predictable to me is what I would love for parents to take away from this podcast episode. When you think about consistency, Mm -hmm. is just does your child understand 
that your reactions and your responses are going to be predictable 75% of the time, 80% exactly. of the time, right? Sometimes you're just not going to be, and that's that. Exactly. Or you're going to be sick or you're going to be out of town or they're going to be with a different caregiver. Right. Absolutely. And, um, okay. So can we dive into the fact that they are going to have this bond with different caregiver. So what they come to expect from your partner is going to be different than they expect from the nanny and different than they expect from you and different than they expect from the grandparents. That is okay. And even expected. Mm -hmm. And it's important because, you know, if you think that everybody has to do exactly what you do, you will end up driving yourself crazy and being controlling and being disappointed. But if you just say, you know what, I'm can this is the relationship that I have. This is how I'm consistent. This is how dad is consistent or grandma's consistent or babysitter's consistent. It feels a lot easier, mostly because you can't control what other people do and say. So it will drive you crazy. But also because babies like other human beings and dogs and animals in general know the difference between one person and another person. And although, and we won't get into it, but there is in the the first six months, you can kind of pass around a baby in a different way than you can after that, because there's, there's just a, they do distinguish, like they know out of the, you know, right when they come out, they recognize their, the voice of their mother which is kind of wild, but in general, you know, they're aware and able to know, okay, grandma does this when I cry. And that's what's consistent is how grandma responds. Not that she responds the same as mom. Well, you want your child to have flexibility too, right? They can't grow up their life with everyone acting the same way. They've got to learn how to be flexible and work with other humans. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. you bring a good point is that it's not consistency across the table. It's that every person in their life has consistency within their individual relationship with that child. Just that that child understands what to expect from each person in their life. Okay. So I know there are so many people being like, all right. Great, Dr. Aliza. Great, hee hee. How do you do this to a baby that literally is awake for 30 minutes, feeds, and then goes right back to sleep? So what does respectful parenting look like in those very newborn days? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, taking that pause and and then what? I would say narrating, like what's called sports casting sometimes um, is one other way to do this, which is just to say, I'm changing your diaper right now. First, I'm going to put your little leg in this part or, you know, like anything I'm going to right now, I'm stirring my coffee and I'm going to sip my coffee and then I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to kiss your little face. Like whatever you would be doing if you were a sportscaster, when you do that, you're helping your baby get to know what the day is going to look like, get to know the back and forth of conversations. Cause of course, if they make any bid for attention or sound or like anything, (laughs) you want to pause and say, Oh, are you trying to tell me something? Like you teach them and they get to see that this seems to be what happens in a conversation. This seems to be what happens when my diaper is being changed. Oh, I'm going to have that experience again. Oh, I'm having that experience again. Oh, I see how this works. And it helps you have a sense of, it's like the early, early, early um, sense of 
self-regulation and agency is that there's this, again, it goes back to predictability. That's where that responsiveness and respectfulness comes in because you're just, and just not for nothing, but that's also how you develop language beautifully is that right, um, you know, right away, you're just like, well, hello there, you know, and I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to treat you like a person who can understand me. And even though it feels a little crazy sometimes, it really does build language so that you see when, when you've been talking and sports casting in this way and waiting and pausing in case there's something that your baby wants to get across that you can name back for them, they have better language a year later. And that's wild. So it's not just, it's, it's good for everything. I love that. Yeah. When I was in the classroom, I used to talk to, you know, the babies. I was, I was with baby babies. Um, and, and we used to just talk all day long. And one of my favorite things to teach parents is while you have your baby on the diaper change, change and yeah. table, look around the room and have a conversation. And you're right. Any kind of, Ooh, or, ah, that they do say, Oh my gosh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I had no idea. Thank you so much. And they're going to babble exactly. in and you say, wow, that is fascinating. I can't believe you just said that, mm-hmm. you know, have these conversations with your babies. Not only does it give you, um, you know, that face to face time, you and your baby are supposed to spend time each day looking into each other's eyes and looking at one another and spending this one-on-one time. Um, but it also gives your baby that language skill, that social skill, you know, you've got some physical aspects in there as they're kicking and you're pushing against their legs or they're lifting up their arms. You know, you've got all of these really great kind of built in times throughout your day that you can participate in respectful parenting. So it doesn't have to feel like this really daunting task, which brings me to my next point of it can feel daunting to think about respectful parenting. If you also associate it with a household that has no rules and boundaries. So Mm -hmm. how do you respectful parent? and also hold boundaries. And I'm thinking about the baby that is eight months old, who is starting to walk or the baby who is 13 months old, who is really trying to get their finger in that socket. And you've told them continuously for the last three weeks, that's not a safe choice. How do you respectful parent when you're also really at your wits in with boundaries, which is a child's natural Right. They're like supposed to test boundaries. It's how they figure out this predictability. They need to know that every time they do this, you're going to respond this way. But how do we do it? So one thing to keep in mind, because this happens all the time, is that people confuse sensitivity to your child's needs with permissiveness. And it's totally sensitive to like part of responding appropriately is with boundaries. So it's, it's, it's embedded in that respect because you're saying, and, and we have boundaries really not necessarily the first few months because really I'm, although I'm sure there are little things that, that people do individual things, but in general, when you're putting your baby to bed, that's a boundary you're setting. You're saying I've given you a bedtime and maybe it's not a bedtime. It's a bedtime routine because time is a little bit flexible early on. But when you feed your baby and then the feeding is over, that's, those are the beginnings of setting up what are these 
boundaries. And then when your baby's like doing any, you know, biting a nipple, anything, and you say like, um, you know, anything that stops the behavior or redirects a little baby from putting their finger in something, what you're doing is you're being respectful because you're saying, oh, I'm supposed to teach you how this world works. And you didn't know, but if you stick your finger in a socket, that's going to be really dangerous. So, and obviously you're not saying all those sentences, you're, you might even just put your hand over it and say, um, you know, no touch danger. You know, we're saving our nose for danger anyway. Nothing else is really worthy of a no or the dangerous stuff doesn't get taken seriously. But so I think thinking about like, okay, well, do I want my baby to pull up on the bar cart? No, I do not. So I'm going to, every time they go towards that area, I'm going to redirect them or I'm going to decide, you know what? A bar cart's not a great thing for me to be able to feel relaxed around my baby, moving it into the other room. All of those things are your way of early, like setting up of per, like the perimeter around their behavior. And that's all it really is. And I do think like a car seat is one of the early boundaries we set. Nobody has a problem when a baby is upset getting into a car seat, making sure they still go in their car seat because it's so ingrained in us that it's for their safety. So we just need to have that same attitude about all the things that are important that it's, we're sticking with it. You, you know, like I've decided you're going in a car seat because I care so much about your safety and well being. that part of my respect for you is that even though you are crying, I know you're going to be better off. And so I'm going to keep this very consistent. And then you'll stop crying when you have to get in the car seat, because you'll know what to predict. But those are all really respectful ways because you're just saying, I believe that your safety is more important than the, the feelings that are really hard right now that you're having. And I'm gonna love you and be there to help you through those feelings, but I'm still gonna have the boundary you're getting in the car seat. And then that translates and you get it gets easier over time, as you said, because it becomes more obvious and you're just like, you definitely can't carry scissors into, you know, or like cut my hair. But so like some things are pretty obvious other things like really desperately wanting a blue cup when you had already been given a red cup, that can be hard, but it's just, if, if we think of it as practice, okay, I gave them the blue cup. It's a waste of the water and the world and my time to switch colors of cups. So they're going to have a difficult feeling. And my respect is that I'm going to believe that they can be okay, even if they don't get the cup they wanted. And I'll tell them, I'll say, you really wanted that red cup and you're disappointed because you got the blue cup. Why don't we set the red cup aside and you can have that one at the next meal. And so you are being respectful, setting a boundary. It just doesn't feel that way because we feel sometimes like, oh, respect and sensitivity means I need to respond to the sadness that you're having for not getting the cup you wanted. So I'm going to switch the cup but we don't have to make feelings better. We just have to acknowledge them and then state the expectation and then be able to deal with the discomfort that our, our, our babies inevitably are going to feel because feelings are arranged. They're not just all really good or, you know, like grabbing something that's dangerous 
can also be grabbing something that belongs to your big brother that, you know, was like a promise that you made. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let the baby touch your lovey. So you might have to take that lovey and say, I'm going to replace it with this. And the baby could end up crying and being really upset. Probably not until nine months and older, because they don't care if you swap out before that. But those are the moments that you are setting a boundary while being sensitive. I think it goes back to that validation, right? Of just letting them know, I see you and I see your hard feelings and it's okay that you feel this. I'm still here. I'm Mm -hmm. still a safe person and I still very much love you and you're going to be okay without the red cup. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the worst things that we can do is, is tell children, oh, you're fine. Or, um, you know, it's not that bad or suck it up. We do want to acknowledge what we are seeing and why they're feeling that and letting them know that it it is okay. And they are safe um, to feel this feeling, you know, we, it goes back to being in a relationship. If you think about you and your partner or your spouse, one of the hardest times I ever had with my partner was watching his grandfather die. And I didn't know how to support him because there was nothing I could do. His grandfather was dying and I couldn't make that stop. And I wasn't going to be able to bring him back. And it was just hard feelings it was just a hard season and there was nothing I could do except validate this sucks. This sucks. And I still love you. And I'm here when you're ready. And sometimes that's all you can do for your, that's right. Your kiddo. That's right. And, and the, the confidence of the confidence you give babies and children over time by finding out that you're not afraid of their big feelings mm. is so it's such a gift because if you really think about it, if if they're upset and you're in a panic, that sends a message that being upset is actually bad. Mm. And then you are like, if you take that to 20 years later, if you don't know that being upset is part of just the what? natural course of life and that it's okay to be upset and that you get through it because you're a person who feels and that there isn't one right way to feel you're at such a disadvantage from the person who's sobbing and then goes, who I needed a good cry. I was really upset about that. I'm still upset, but I got my cries out and I talked about it. And now I'm going to go about my day because I'm not panicked because my world as you know, the, the there's with as little pressure as possible, I'll say this, but there is so much to early experiences. They shape so much of who we are those first years of life shape so much of who we are. That first year of life does. And given that, not as a pressure, but as a, as a, an empowerment, like we have the, we have the power to help shape our children's brains so that they can function in the world in a healthier way. Doesn't mean that like it's such a scary thing to say because it's like, it's not all on us. But the fact that some of it's on us and we can control ourselves when this whole world is otherwise out of our control, I think is actually quite heartening and relaxing because it does have an impact so that later in life they can say, I don't know, they don't consciously say like, well, when I was 18 months and I was really upset, my mom never said you shouldn't feel that way. It's just that they know it in their body when they have those feelings, they don't have panic. And that is great. Um, and part of that is like you said, in the example with your partner is sometimes you're just like, yeah, you're feeling these feelings 
And I'm here when you need. I'm here. Yeah. Like I'm I'm available and you tell me what you need. And that's why babies are really easy in that way. Cause they'll, if they need a hug, they'll hug you. Like they'll bit, they'll, they'll, they'll like do the cute thing of sticking their arms out once they're by, you know, by five months old. So it's kind of cool. It is really cool. So I too am someone who finds a lot of comfort in knowing that I have that much control over being able to impact children in those those early years. It's it's why I love being in the classroom for so long. Um, I, I just got to see how much those little daily interactions really do impact things and to take off more pressure from parents out there being like, oh my God, it's all on my shoulders. It is a lot on your shoulders, but it's not about being extravagant. It's about being intentional. So you could literally give your child a paper towel roll and stick it in water and show them what happens with paper and water. Help them know to look from one side to the other. Put tape on both the sides and some rice in the middle and show them different sounds. And you've made the cheapest toy in three different ways. And your child has learned incredible experiences. It's not about money or, you know, being extravagant. It is about intentionality. Just be intentional with the things that you show your baby and the things that you do with your baby and say to your baby and model for your baby. It's just about being intentional, which can be hard if you are parenting with someone who doesn't share in these same feelings. So can we talk about co-parenting? Can we talk Mm -hmm. about being a parent with another human who we love dearly, but sometimes being a parent brings up things in your relationship where you're like, wow, I did not know this is who you were as a person, or I had no idea that this is how you were going to want to parent. How do we navigate that so that our child can be consistent? So I don't, this is not an episode about working out between your partners, but how do we as adults work that out so that our child can benefit? Well, I mean, it's a really, it's great if you have not done this to talk to your whoever your co-parent is about how they were parented and how you were parented, whether you do that during pregnancy or after the baby's born, it's such an important conversation because if you talk about how you were parented and you share that, and then you talk about what parts of that you want to bring into this new parent experience you're going to have, then you guys can find out the things that you basically your intentions. You can have almost like a family um, mission statement that helps you guys know, okay, our collective intention as parents is this. When you get into situations where you don't know what to do, go back to your mission statement and you've, you've thought that through. If you have older babies and you haven't done it before, have that conversation. How, how did your experience of being parented feel and what parts of that do you want to bring into this relationship and what parts do you want to absolutely consciously dump? And that's going to be important. And if you're on different pages, then coming to that family mission that really encompasses both parents will be important. And then also probably the hardest thing to do in life, but the most important is to accept that you only have control over yourself, not that little baby, not that co-parent. And so what you can do is honor your intentions and 
let go of trying to control the other people. Just let go of it because the the more you hold on to it, the more you cling to that, the heart like the worse it gets for the baby because they feel that tension. But if they see like, oh, okay, there are some things that mom, you know, there are some things maybe mom feels really strongly about that are hers alone. It's still very safe feeling because it's not like anybody's arguing about it. Yeah, mom, it really, mom really cares about doing this. It's not, you know, and the other parent might say like, I never really was, I never really cared about that. So I'm just learning with, I'm observing alongside, but this is very important to your mom. So you can be supportive and not agree, but you need to name it and you need to name it with each other as the, you know, as you're embarking on being parents together. And are there any things that we should be concerned about that we do do differently? What comes to my mind is like bedtime maybe, or I don't know, you know, holding those boundaries or disciplining for things that are dangerous versus not dangerous. Are there things that parents absolutely need to be on the same page for or not really, you know, children are pretty resilient and they'll be able to kind of be flexible and learn those differences? I mean, you know, when it's getting chaotic in the house because the kids respond with much more, yeah, they have their own you know, if you're seeing more tantrums or, or the behavior feels overwhelming, chances are you do need to take a look and say, what can we do that's more consistent and predictable? So, and, and it's going to depend on your child's temperament. Some easier kids are like, I got this. Mom does this, dad does this. This is how, the, you know, whatever. Dad's putting me to bed tonight, so I don't need to do blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is. Some kids are, you know, easily move between different personalities and some kids really will struggle. And if they are struggling, then it's on the adults to say, well, we got to, we got to come to an agreement here. The other thing is sometimes there's a more successful relationship between one parent and a child and another parent and the child. And in those moments, sometimes it's just like the time and space of where they are in their lives, like where they are in their infancy, what's going on. But sometimes it really is one parent is being more sensitive and responsive. And the other one might want to say, I'm going to suck this up and observe a little bit more because something's going more right over here. But it has to be the will of the parent who's having the worst relationship. The one who's doing quote unquote better, it's not going to go over well to say, why don't you just observe me for a little bit? You know, um, it, it's going to push them away. Um, the other thing I would say is if your child if you're finding that your baby or child, young child goes to you, doesn't get a response they want, and then goes to another parent who swaps out and says, I'll do, you know, like I'll change the, the game. That's not great. Like if you have a disagreement in your parenting style and one parent's doing bedtime that night, back off. Cause then at least you're not contradicting each other in real time. That's super confusing. Yeah, that must be very confusing. I mean, for kind of everybody, it feels crummy to have your, your, you know, co-parent completely disregard what you just said to your child or just did. Um, and then for your child, it must feel as if um, you can actually play your parents against one another. And, you know, for the record, people always think babies don't come here with very much intelligence, but that is, that's the opposite of true. Um, they are quite in, incredibly 
you know, intelligent beings, they come here very observant and they pick up very, very fast on things. Um, so don't, um, don't discredit your, your newborn's intelligence because, you know, they are, they pick up on the energy too. When, when someone Uh is stressed out, um, or, or the, the tension is high, your newborn, I'm talking new newborn, you guys will, will pick up on these energetic tendencies. So, um, just be careful. Oh my goodness. Dr. Aliza, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate it. Can you tell our people where to find you? You have an amazing podcast. I'm a longtime listener of, and I absolutely love it, but where else can people find you? You have some online offerings and services um, for one-on-one support for parents, things like that. Yes, I have um, one-on-one support and um, I have a practice called Seedlings Group with two other um, practitioners and we have mom groups and they're all on zoom. <laughs> um, we kind of cluster together parents by age of the babies. Um, and they go from zero to 13. And, um, and then I also am the co-founding director of the Mount Sinai parenting center. And we have a lot of online resources as well. So, um, I guess, there's seedlingsgroup.com and mountsinaiparentingcenter.org. And um, that also has a lot of videos of newborn stuff, like from the physician's point of view and and about responsive parenting. And um, But it is in general more uh, focused on educating healthcare providers than it is parents. Um, or healthcare providers who are parents. And um, and then the podcast is on whatever, um, wherever everybody gets their podcasts like yours. And, um, and I try to answer questions on Instagram on the at Raising Good Humans podcast. And that's it. I love it. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being here. Listeners, happy Tuesday. I will see you again on Friday for another Friday free talk. I hope between now and then, You really take Dr. Aliza and my words to heart. I hope that you are able to sit back and look at your parenting styles and see if it really is the best fit for you and your family and your child right now. And if it's not, know that you have the control to change that. Know that people like Dr. Aliza and I exist for a reason and we are here to help you and you know how to get a hold of us. Until then, toodaloo. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.